As you prepare for Christmas in this busy time, how many of you every year you put up a real Christmas tree? Can I see your hand? How many of you? Yeah, there's quite a few of you. Some, somebody's very excited about it that they are, they've put that tree up, that real Christmas tree. How many of you here put up an artificial tree every year? Can I see your hands? Okay. There's a lot of you as well. Just like uh, the first service, there's more people that have an artificial tree than they have a real tree, which is whatever works for you. But how many of you here would say, you know what, I don't put up any tree. There's no tree that I have. I see one, two, anybody else, three. Okay, and the reason why we want to see your hands is because we'd love to give you some Christmas cheer. Okay, you really need it. So, um, <clears throat> just kidding. How many of you put lights outside your house this time of year for Christmas. Oh, yes. Okay. How many of you? No lights at all. No lights. Okay. There's, so there's a few of you as well. You know, what's crazy, we come to this time of year and, you know, um, sometimes the Christmas season is just messy. There's so much going on and it's not very merry sometimes, is it? But I pray as we come and we look at God's word through our next three weeks of this series that you would be encouraged of what God is doing and that we would keep our focus on what this season really is about. You know, one of the challenging things about the Christmas season and the challenging things about the Christmas story is, in fact, the Christmas story. Um, this is the story, the Christmas story that I'm talking about is the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. That's the story. There's so much miraculous, there's so much amazing and I want you to know that there may be some that don't believe it, and, and I understand that, uh, but I want you to know the Christmas story is unbelievable, and maybe you thought, and you think, hey, they had to come up with some myth about the birth of Jesus to give him street cred, or whatever it may be, maybe that's where it came from. You know, it is interesting as you look at the very beginning of the New Testament, where you do see Matthew talks about the birth of Jesus Christ, so does Luke, and then we see that Mark and John do not mention anything about the birth of Jesus, but they get started right into the story of Jesus and his life and don't even mention it. So before we jump in, I just want to say, if somebody could predict their own death and their own resurrection, I'm not at all concerned about how they got into the world. I just want to say that right from the beginning. Are you with me? That, that the whole resurrection thing is so amazing. It, it's so, it's just seeming unbelievable if we think about it, that it's just crazy that Christianity doesn't hinge on the birth of Jesus Christ, but Christianity hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and who he is. Amen, I want you to know that. I mean, because some would come and say, well, you know, I could kind of see, you know, we really weren't there, and Mary, you know, the whole immaculate conception and all of that, really, and, and all of that. I, I mean, I can see where some don't, but when you come and predict your own death and your resurrection, that's pretty amazing, church. That is something that we should think and, man, dwell on and ponder in our hearts very deeply every day of the year, and then this time of the season as well. So really, the story of Christmas doesn't begin with a couple who's trying to figure out how in the world they got pregnant. Um, the story actually begins with a couple that are worried that they'll never get pregnant. 
It doesn't begin with a couple trying to figure out this whole thing. Oh, where are we going to have this baby? It begins with a, with a couple that's pretty confident they're never going to have a baby in the first place. And that's what we're going to look at here in Genesis 12. If you have your Bibles, you'll turn there with me. We're going to look there and see that the Christmas story is not only seemingly unbelievable, but the Christmas story is remarkable. And it, it doesn't begin with angels announcing in Matthew or Luke. It begins with God making a promise in the book of Genesis and not just any promise, but it's unbelievable. It's kind of really incoherent, and this promise is made, and it, could, it didn't make any sense in the culture that it just came in as well. We're going to talk about that. But it turns out the Christmas story is believable. It's believable because the backstory is so remarkable. It's so believable because the backstory is so remarkable that the Christmas story is a, a seemingly unbelievable, incoherent, impossible promise to us. That as we look at the promise, it was absolutely impossible for it to come, and yet this promise set up the events around Christmas that we know of, and in fact, this promise, this remarkable story about this promise is what really makes Christmas so believable. The promise that we're talking about was a promise made 2,090 years before Christ. 2,090 years before Christmas, we see this, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the Lord said to Abram, and eventually the Bible calls him Abraham, and the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I'm going to show you. Now, we're not sure why God chose Abram uh, any more than why he chose Joseph and, and Mary, but he tells Abram, I want you to leave everything you know which was so dangerous, so dangerous because security and safety in the ancient times had everything to do with your tribe and your clan, your family, your relatives. So he's asked to do something that's extraordinarily dangerous. And then the promise began and God says to Abram, and I will make you a great nation. And now Abram's about 75 years old at this point. If you're here and you are about 75 or you're 75 years of age, could you imagine having a baby right now? Some of you in your 30s and saying, no, I just couldn't even imagine. For No, that's no, no, I couldn't even imagine. But, but this was the experience as God comes to Abraham. He, he doesn't have any children. So he may have thought to himself, great nation. I don't, even, I don't even have a great nation. I don't know anything about it. I will bless you. I will make your name great. Abram, I'm going to make you famous, and the promise continues, and you will be a blessing. Now, this is when, within the cultural context of this ancient, ancient times, it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make a bit of sense because this was a time of extraordinary violence. In, in fact, one of the things that, if you look at this, this kind of drives you crazy is you see this area because in this era, in the Old Testament, it's violence and bloodshed. People weren't in the habit of blessing anybody other than their family. And yet God says to Abram, you're going to be a blessing. He says, I'm, I'm telling you, nothing's going to get in the way of this happening because I will bless, what does the Bible say because you've heard this? I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those that what? Curse you. Yeah, this is where this is at. In other words, Abram, I'm going to be a part of the story and I'm going to be a part of the people who follow the story that I'm about ready to give you. How many of you know when God blesses you, nothing can get in the way of God's blessing to your life? Amen? 
When God chooses to bless your life, nothing can get in the way of it. And we're going to see that in the story today. And so God gets to, in this completely unbelievable, incoherent, absolutely impossible part of the promise, he says, in all peoples, all peoples. And in other words, every tribe and every person, every clan and every gathering of families, that is, every person on the earth will ultimately and eventually be impacted by your life, Abram. Now, the thing that was so strange about this is, is that this culture, in this culture, people did not bless peoples. And nations did not bless nations. Nations conquered each other, they enslaved each other, and they plundered each other. That's the story. But nations didn't bless nations. Tribes didn't bless another tribe. Clans didn't do it either. This made absolutely no sense in the culture they were living in. Yet Genesis tells us that Abraham chose to believe the unbelievable. And I want to encourage you today, no matter where you are at in your life, how about you? You can choose to believe the unbelievable today, even if you can't see it. And he said to God, I don't know how this is possibly going to work. I don't even have any children. I won't be around long enough to see whether there's a nation yet to come. But because that is the promise you made, Abraham chose to believe this unbelievable, incoherent, literally impossible to fulfill promise. Now, if you grew up in church, or, 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 if, or if, you, if you're Jewish, or if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that eventually Abraham and Sarah did have a son. His name was Isaac, and Isaac had a son. In fact, we're going to put a simple uh, family tree up behind me here as you look at the life of Abraham. You see it here. Now, this isn't the whole schematic from Abraham to Jesus, but this is a great part of the whole lineage of Abraham as it comes through and, and you see right here where Jacob's name is in the center of the screen. That really should have been Esau's name there. But we know that Jacob was, was a sneaky guy. And he stole his birthright. He stole the birthright of Esau. And he was very sneaky about it. And then you see through Jacob and the blessing that he receives. It goes into the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But that you see... There in the word of the Lord that there is a great deal of family dysfunction and so much chaos that I encourage you to read this just before your family comes over before Christmas. That just get the Bible out and start reading because there is so much dysfunction in Scripture that we look at the Bible many times, we think it's just so neatly packaged and it's all perfect. No, it's not. No, it's not. That there is a lot of chaos and there's a lot of dysfunction. So before the grandchildren and even their parents and whatever it may be and your kids come over, that you can read scripture and come with a great deal of comfort that there was dysfunction in the Bible. Now, God doesn't want us to stay in dysfunction, obviously, but it should make us feel a little bit better about ourselves that we see Abram. He lied to his wife. If you imagine this, they get to Egypt, and Abraham's afraid that Pharaoh's going to want to put Sarah in, his, Sarah in his harem and kill him. So Abraham says, hey, let's just tell everybody you're my sister. This is the guy that God chose to bless the world. 
There's so much dysfunction. There's so much chaos. Well, eventually Jacob has 12 sons, and 10 of the sons don't like their brother Joseph. You know this story. You remember it. And so they're like, hey, should we kill him or throw him in a pit? Kill him, throw him in a pit. Well, we're going to throw him in a pit. We're going to sell him off. And so they sell him off. He ends up in Egypt. And consequently, the entire family, all these children, all these kids, all of their families, they eventually migrate to Egypt where they do, in fact, become, as God promised, a nation. But they become a nation of slaves, a slave nation. We look at that in word of the Lord, not, not feeling very blessed. Hey, you know, certainly not in a position to bless anybody else. And after hundreds of years, and this is the part we can't imagine because the story, the promise of Abraham was known to these people that they begin to know Abraham as Father Abraham. God promised Abraham he would be a nation and, and you will be this, God says. And now we're a nation, and the kids are like, yeah, but we're a nation of slaves. I mean, we're a nation, and God has promised to bless the whole world through Abraham and through this nation. And they're looking at each other and thinking, well, that part of the promise can't possibly be true. There is no way. And then God sent a deliverer named Moses, and without telling you the whole story, but perhaps I'm sure you know most of it, that by the time Moses got finished with Pharaoh, and by the time vice versa it happened back, nobody in Egypt was feeling very blessed by the descendants of Abraham. And then they make their way across the Red Sea and into the promised land, into the land of Canaan, and the inhabitants, the Canaanites that lived in that part of the world, they weren't feeling very blessed by the presence of Abraham's descendants either. And as you read those parts of the Old Testament, there's so much violence there is so much bloodshed, and times it is offensive as we look from our mindset. It's offensive to us. How in the world could this be part of the story of God? And I just want to say this here. Old Testament violence isn't an argument against the existence of God. It reflected a culture without God because it put no value on human life. And the short answer is what offends us was so normal to them. And one of the reasons we're offended by all the violence is the reason why after the Old Testament is because we are on the other side of Christmas. We see the world in a completely different way, but this was part of the journey. And this was part of the story as, as God unfolded the story of Christmas to fulfill his promise to Abram. About a thousand years go by after God made that promise and Abraham became a family. The family became a nation, and ultimately the nation became a kingdom. We know it as the kingdom of Israel. And David, the king, he came along, and he created peace, and Israel was feared and respected. And then Solomon came along, David's son. David's son, he comes along, and Israel was wealthy and influential. And for the first time, it looked at Israel. For the first time, it looked like Israel may be in a position to be a blessing to the entire world. They were wealthy, they were influential, but instead of blessing the world, Solomon chose to marry the daughters of the foreign nations into the surrounding nations. And you see, God kept his promise to Solomon that if he worshiped other gods, he would destroy the temple. God said, I will tear it down because you do not need it. But God says, I'm up to something way bigger than that anyways. 
that it seems at this moment the best opportunity was lost. Divided income, economy, divided military. Fast forward 300 years to 700 BC, and the northern kingdom is lost, and the southern kingdom, which is Judah, is on the verge of implosion and invasion. And God sends a prophet named Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, and says this, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Light? Are you kidding me? We're a joke. We're a joke. Salvation? Uh Uh-uh. No way. Israel couldn't even save herself. And after this prophecy, they lost their independence to Assyria. And the next 300 years were absolute chaos. The Babylonians under the Nebuchadnezzar come to the city, tear down parts of the wall, destroy it, and the whole city was sacked. Solomon's temple was destroyed just like God said it would be destroyed. And the best and the brightest and the royal citizens and the most important citizens of the country are carted off in captivity. And I'm going to say this just like I did in the first service. But listen, church, we are living in a Babylonian culture. Make no mistake about it. We are in a Babylonian culture, and I will tell you today that some of our best and our brightest are in captivity in Babylon. Some of our best and our brightest are in slavery to a mindset about the world, their denial of God, their rejection of God. And here they have giftings and promises and anointing that God has placed upon their life and are not living that out to its fullest. And the church, the church in this day needs to know how to go after and rescue and help bring an exodus to a generation that is in Babylon. They are in Babylon and their minds are deceived. And the church needs to figure this thing out. With God's help, we can. They're in this chaos. And then you see in the midst of it, you see God sends another prophet. The prophet Malachi, and his words again as we read them just seem impossible. They heard these prophecies and they're like, you're just trying to encourage us. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, you're just trying to prop them up and make it look good. You know, kind of like better luck next time with this promise and, and whatever. And so this prophecy comes from Malachi, and it seemed there's no traction. There's no reason in the world to believe any of this. And here's what God said to the nation during this difficult time through Malachi. My name will be great among the nations, to which they thought, no, it won't. Your name is being mocked among the nations. Your name is a joke among the nations, God. Nobody looks at us and says, oh, I want to worship their God. You know, our our God from their standpoint of the nations, our God is pathetic. Our God can't take care of his own people. There's no way in the world that your name is going to be great among the nations of the earth. Are you kidding me? We can't even feed ourselves. We can't even protect ourselves. So come on, let's stop with these empty promises. Let's stop with the hype. The truth is we're never, ever going to be a blessing to any other nation. And the name of our God is not going to be made known throughout the nations. Matter of fact, the name of Alexander the Great is going to probably be greater. But not the name of our God. But he wasn't finished. Malachi said this, My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In other words, my name, God says, will be known throughout the entire world 
world. And he goes on, he says this, in every place, don't miss this, in every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to me. What is he saying? What this meant? Anywhere people were worshiping, any place in the world where they are worshiping God, there would be a group that recognizes me no matter where they are at. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But the people of Judah couldn't hear it. They just, they wouldn't have it. How could they? They've already been overrun by Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and now the Greeks were coming. Insult to injury comes Rome sent Pompeii. Um, you know, Pompey the Great comes. He would breach the walls. He would conquer the city. He would annex the whole area in the Republic of Rome. And then you see, and so you begin, begin the occupation, the Roman occupation of what would be known as the Holy Land. Judah, Judea, Galilee, and the whole world. The descendants of Abraham would, in fact, become a nation. But this unbelievable, incoherent, impossible promise seemingly would end there. There's no way Israel could ever be a light to the non-Jewish people. The Gentiles, what? And, and, and the Jewish people would certainly not be worshipped throughout the world. Not Yahweh. Not Yahweh. No way. Because nobody's interested in a God who can't take care of his own people. And that's what makes the story of Christmas so remarkable. Remarkable. Because when things were as hopeless as they could possibly be, when things were as hopeless as they seemed, when God's promise to Abraham was out of reach, it just seemingly so far away, the Apostle Paul, years later, looking back, putting the whole story together in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, wrote it this way. When the set time, when the set time had fully come, in other words, when God had everything just the way that he wanted it to be, expanding the empire, exporting a common Greek and Roman culture and common port system that connected all the major population hubs around the Mediterranean rim, the peace of Rome where peace had been made between nations that had been warring for generations and tribes that had been warring for generations when at last there was a mechanism, when at last there was a way for God to actually get the undivided attention of the world and to export the message that was so ultimately was to go towards blessing every nation on the planet. When God had it just the way he wanted them. When many had lost hope and no one was beginning to dream that God would fulfill his unbelievable, incoherent, impossible promise to Abraham when nobody was expecting it. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth in Luke chapter 1, 26 through 33, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And the virgin's name was, and, and you know what? Everybody in the world knows the virgin's name don't they? How did that happen? Today, in this month, all over the world, people are going to tell this story, and they know who Mary is. How could that happen? And the virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And no one in this part of the world had felt God was with them before for a very long time. 
and you have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And then there's, here's the clincher. And again, just like God promised Abraham, this is for Mary. Mary could have probably said, this makes no sense. And his kingdom, his kingdom will never end. So in the end, God kept his promise to Abraham. In the end, God did exactly what he promised Abraham, that through Abraham, every single nation in the world would be blessed through him. And as it turns out, all the nations would be blessed through Abraham. Israel would, in fact, be a light to the Gentiles. From that part of the world, God sent his son Jesus through his life and through his teaching and through his death and through his resurrection. This part of the world has become a light. Now, I realize that we have a vast age range in the room, but those of you that are older and been around a little longer and you've looked at Scripture, you, you get the understanding as you come to Scripture that as far back as the Old Testament, and then he brings it back up in the New Testament, that God's very people are the people of Israel. He says, I chose them. They're mine. They're my people. And, and I want to remind us today that that promise still stands Though if somebody is an Orthodox Jew or somebody steeped in Judaism, many times still reject Jesus as the Messiah. God says, listen, they are my chosen people. I love them. And I want to remind us today as a church that we not forget because, listen, I live in the same world you do. I turn on the TV and the radio and hear the anti-Semitic junk that is out there. It's totally against God. God says, they are my chosen people. He knows they rejected him. Rejected his son, Jesus, as the Messiah. God says, listen, they're my chosen people. And listen, we're believing, the Bible says that we are to pray for the peace of, of Jerusalem, the peace of Israel. Amen. I hope you pray for the peace of Israel every single day. I hope you pray. You talk about a promise that is yet to be fulfilled. That's one amongst the many. But God says, they're my chosen people. They are my chosen people, and I love them. I, this small nation, this small nation in the Middle East, God says, I love them. They are my chosen people. And let me tell you something. God will fulfill his promise every day and all day long on the nation of Israel. And I will tell you, if you don't know this, I just want to say this. I'm not saying this boastfully because God said it. But listen, any nation that comes against Israel, the Bible says they will be taken out. You see why the nations are coming in on Israel? Why our nation, there's many people that raise their voice against, oh, what God is doing and, or, what, or what, what, uh, what is happening in Israel. They hate, they hate, they hate. All of this language that is a part of it. God says, listen, they're mine. They're my chosen people and I love them and I'm coming back to get them. Well, the beautiful thing of it is, is that those of us that are believers today, he said, you have been engrafted into the vine. So we're a part of that. You and I have been engrafted, and God says, you know, I just don't have them stand alone. I've engrafted you, and, uh, you as my sons and daughters into the vine, and you are my chosen people as well. 
I would just want to encourage us to continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the peace of Israel, for that nation. And speak up for this nation that is the Lord's. And he will rescue. And he is with them like he is with us right now. So a kingdom that will never, ever end is the promise of the Lord to us. Every year, tens of thousands of people visit Israel. They go, they see all over the world where this light began to shine from where it emanated from. The Jewish people, in fact, became a light to the Gentiles. In fact, most of you listening or watching this today were Gentiles. And who is it that we worship? A Jewish savior. In fact, the Jewish God would be worshiped throughout the world because the God that Christians worship is the God of the Jews, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the reason the Old Testament scriptures are so precious to us, the, the reason people decided, let's combine the old Jewish scriptures with the New Testament documents is because Jewish scripture, the story of the Jewish people, the history of the Jewish people was actually a cocoon. It was, it was the birth, the hope of the world, the light of the world, the savior of the world whose kingdom would endure forever and ever. And the thing that makes the Christmas story so believable is the fact the entire story is so remarkable because there's a backstory. Right? No one would have made this up. No one could have made this up. It stretched out of so many years. But sometimes the thread wasn't always evident. It, it, but sometimes it was, and people lost track, and people lost sight. But during the entire period of time, God was behind the scenes working, getting the world ready for the thing that he ultimately decided to do. And that was he knew, he knew that he was going to have to send a remedy to sin that entered the world. The Christmas story didn't begin 2,000 years uh, ago. It started 2,000 years plus before that. That came from a promise in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham. So, who needs Christmas? Well, that question is simple. God decided that the world needed Christmas. And he would work out the story of Christmas on the world stage. He worked his plan on the world stage before our eyes. And history has written about it. And history and things have yet to be written about what he's doing now and what he's doing in the future. So he did it on the world stage for everybody to see. Involving some of the most significant people ever in history. Many of whom would become footnotes in the story of the birth of a Jewish carpenter that would ultimately change the entire world, that through him the Jews become a light to the Gentiles, that through Jesus the Jewish God would be worshipped all around the world, that through Jesus salvation would in fact come to every nation, every tribe, and every people everywhere. That's good news. I don't know about you, but that's good news to me, amen? That's good news. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. No end. He's fulfilled his promise. I just wonder maybe what you're going through today. 
what are you hoping for? What are you waiting for? What is it that you're holding dear in your heart that is yet an answer from the Lord? With that in mind, let's go to prayer.